Good morning, Grace Chapel. The question I want to ask this morning is a question maybe some of us have been asking at this time. It's a simple question, but actually probably one of the most challenging questions to our faith. Here's the question. Is God for us? Now that's a good question to wrestle with. It's certainly a question that I have wrestled with and will continue to wrestle with throughout my lifetime. Is God for me? Is God for his people? It's a question that will challenge our faith, but by God's mercy through the process also deepen our faith. Is God for his people? The question comes up, Because life often seems to answer that question for us in the negative. Reality tends to paint a much darker picture. Is God for us when he sends a virus that kills indiscriminately? Is God for us when we are not even able to be with their loved ones as they die? Is God for us as we suffer silently alone through the throes of mental illness? Is God for us when we lose our jobs and are unable to pay the bills? Is God for us when our spouse is abusing our children and we're trapped with nowhere to go? Is God for us when all our hopes and dreams have been dashed upon the hard, cold, unforgiving rocks of this life? These questions could go on indefinitely, but at root they're all asking one broader question. Is God for us? This is the question I want us to consider this morning. The people of Israel asked that same question 2,700 years ago. Isaiah, a prophet ministering in the southern kingdom of Judah, watched as the Assyrians came, they conquered, and they carried away the northern kingdom into exile. And Isaiah knew that it was only a matter of time until the southern kingdom would be carried away. Another superpower would rise up and come and conquer and carry them away. So Isaiah began prophesying and ministering around 740 B.C. In chapters 38 to 39, the stage is prophetically set for the kingdom of Babylon to come, the empire that would decimate the southern empire in 586 B.C. So trouble is coming, and God's people know it. So chapters 40 to 66 help prepare God's people for what's to come. But at the same time, they offer a hope for the future. A coming salvation that goes far beyond anything the earth could offer. Comfort and hope are offered as this mysterious portrait of a suffering servant is unfolded. The hope of the coming suffering servant serves as a foundation for Israel's comfort thousands of years ago and serves as a foundation for our comfort today. The passage we're going to look at this morning is just a few short verses. Isaiah 40, beginning of verses 27 to 31. If you have your Bibles, open to Isaiah 40, 27 to 31, and let's read it together. Beginning of verse 27, the prophet says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall be exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning as we come to your word to hear it, to believe it, to trust in you, to be renewed, to have strength for this day. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here's the main point I want us to get this morning. Here it is. Our strength is renewed as we wait on our everlasting God. Grace Chapel, our strength is renewed as we wait on the everlasting God. We're going to break this down into two points. First, the everlasting God is our good shepherd. He is our good shepherd. And secondly, we are renewed as we wait on the Lord. We find renewal as we wait. So our strength is renewed by our good shepherd as we wait on him. First, our everlasting God is a good shepherd. Now, the last two weeks we've talked about, beginning with in Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11, Isaiah challenges the people of God to proclaim your great God, to proclaim your good God. It's worth reading those verses again. Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11. The prophet says, Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is what we're to proclaim. The Lord is the great and mighty King. This is what we are to proclaim. The Lord is the good and loving shepherd. So we are to lift up our voices, O people of God, to declare, behold your God. But let me be straight with you. I'm tired. And it's hard to proclaim the greatness and goodness of God when we're weary. See, the older I get, the more tired I feel. Last week, my finger, my pointer finger, became so swollen and sore that I had to actually wrap it in a splint to relieve some of the pain. It was huge. I have no idea how I sprained it. I can't remember how. I was sharing with my friend over text and he asked me how did this happen and I told him I can't remember you know what he replied wow you really are old not only are you aching and complaining about it but you can't even remember the reason why you're aching well he is right see it's our tiredness specifically life's tiredness our weariness our aches that make us question the Lord's character and goodness Now we probably could argue with good justification that we have even a few more reasons why we're feeling more tired and wearier than we were just a few months ago. (laughs) I recently heard someone tell how refreshed they were. All this time off has been renewing to their souls. (laughs) Time off? What are you talking about? I can only look at them cross and wonder what planet they live on. 
See, many of us at one time or another have wondered this. God, I believe you're still up there. But I'm not so sure you really know what's going on or care enough about us, care enough about me to do anything about it. When C.S. Lewis's wife died, he wasn't worried about becoming an atheist. He wasn't worried about disbelieving in God. He was worried, actually, about having wrong thoughts about God. He was worried about developing a false view of God, a view of God who is far off, a view of God who is removed, a view of God who is not good, a view of God who is not great. See, we are always in danger of doing this when life weighs us down. This is exactly what Israel did in verse 27. Israel questions the Lord's character. They doubt his goodness. Look again at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Israel here is doubting the Lord. They believe that they are hidden from God, that they are disregarded by him. In essence, They're saying that the Lord is not for them. He has abandoned them, forsaken them, disregarded them, cast them off, and thrown them away. They say, my way is hidden from the Lord. What they're saying here is that God is not great. In other words, is the Lord, are you even able to see what we're going through? God, do you really see? Are you powerful enough? This challenges the Lord's greatness. It challenges all his omnis. Remember those? The theological terms for God? He is omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent everywhere, and omnipotent, all-powerful. If our way is hidden from the Lord, then he really isn't all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere, as his word proclaims. See, God's character is being assaulted by Israel and because of the hard reality that they are facing in life. They are questioning who God says he is. Now, we're honest, we do this all the time. Secondly, they're questioning, they say, my right is disregarded by my God. Here, they're actually questioning God's goodness. God, you are not good. If you are good and loving, then you would care for me. Here's God's loving kindness being questioned. Are you truly as good as you say you are? Now, here's the interesting hidden assumption that they make. If you are really good, you would not allow such hard things to come to me. If you are really good, you would not allow this X, Y, and Z to fall into my lap. If you are really good, you would keep your people from safety, from, safe from calamity, from hardship and heartbreak. But life seems to tell us that you have disregarded, forgotten, or even worse, forsaken us. See, the people of Judah have seen the northern tribe of Israel carried away into harsh exile. They know that they are next. And they are struggling with reconciling God's greatness and goodness with life's realities. Lord, how are we to proclaim your greatness and your goodness when life's circumstances seem to tell us that you are not great? They seem to tell us that you are not good. Again, back to our main question. God. Are you really for us? Are you really for your people? Isaiah turns to God's everlasting nature and loving covenant faithfulness to remind Israel that such is not the case. He is a God who is for his people. He is great and he is good. He will never leave and never forsake. Look at verses 28 to 30. Have you not known? 
Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. In answer to Israel's complaint, Isaiah responds, You know this already, people. Have you not known? Have you not heard? You already know the greatness of God. You already know the steadfast love of God. Have you forgotten so quickly? Have we forgotten so quickly? Have you forgotten so quickly? We are no different than the people of Israel. One moment we stand before the Red Sea, we witness the power of God as He rips apart the sea and allows His people to cross on dry land. No sooner do the waves come crashing back down, the Egyptian army wiped, and we're sitting there saying we want to go back to Israel. Like the Ephesian church, we have forgotten our first love. But how do we recover that first love? We must call to remembrance the things that we already know. See, we already know and have experienced and have heard. We need to remind ourselves of this goodness again. We need to remind ourselves of God's greatness again. Brothers and sisters, we need to remind ourselves of the gospel again and again and again. That is the story of God's greatness and God's goodness, that he would send his one and only beloved son to die so that sinners might be reconciled to God. Who is our God? He is great and he is good. Look again at verse 28. The Lord is the everlasting God. He is great. He is everlasting. There is no God like our God. He is the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things. It is an impossibility for him to grow faint, weary, or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. He is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful. This is our God, who we often forget. Look back at verses 29 to 30. He is also all-loving. He is good. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even the young and strong will grow faint, weary, and exhausted. They will become overwhelmed with life. But the Lord our God is our source of strength. Where does your help and strength come from? It comes from the Lord strong and mighty. It comes from the maker of heaven and earth. What does this say? says that our loving God, our great God, our good God gives power. He gives strength. Are you feeling weak right now? Are you tired, weary, and worn out? You're exactly where you need to be. See, those who are weak, those who are weary, those who are worn out are the ones who receive the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is not an invitation to the strong. This is an invitation for the weak. This is an invitation for the weary. This is an invitation for those who are worn out. This is an invitation for those who are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. This, brothers and sisters, if you are weak and weary and worn, is an invitation for you and me. It's an invitation to remembrance. 
Remember that God is everlasting and unchanging. He does not grow weary or faint like us. In fact, he actually gives power to those who are weak and weary. He renews those who wait on him. He is our strength. He is our rock. He is great. He is good. And he calls all of us who are weak to himself. Come to me. Are you weary? Then come. Are you worn out? Then come. Are you tired? Brothers and sisters, Jesus himself invites us to come to him. See, God is our good shepherd. He renews his people with comfort and hope. Our second point. See, there's a process to this renewal. God renews us in his grace and mercy, but there's a process. So the second point is this. God, who is our good shepherd, renews the strength of those who wait on him. Look at verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, what we need to do, church, is that we need to learn the spiritual discipline of waiting. We need to cultivate the habit of patience of waiting. If we're honest, we're not really good waiters, are we? We're not very patient people. So let's try to answer, ask and answer two questions to tease out what it means to wait on the Lord to have our strength renewed. Here's the first question. How do we wait on the Lord? How do we wait on the Lord? What does it mean to wait on Him? Let me be clear about this. Waiting is not passive. Waiting is an active endeavor. Waiting is not sitting back, twiddling our thumbs, doing nothing. Waiting is not letting go and letting God. Waiting is work. Waiting is hard work. It involves growing in patience, resting in God, and building up our trust of Him. Waiting can be exhausting in and of itself. Waiting is working out your salvation with fear and trembling, even as God works in you. Waiting is doing all things without grumbling or disputing. It is living blamelessly before the world as innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a wicked and twisted generation. Waiting is shining as lights in such a world. Waiting holds fast to the word of life so that when Christ returns we may know that we have not run this race of the Christian life in vain waiting is being poured out as a drink offering waiting is training ourselves in godliness waiting is setting our hope on the living God waiting involves toil and striving waiting means we set up our lives as an example to others in speech in conduct in love and faith and purity waiting is devoting ourselves to scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Waiting means we put into practice the words of scripture. Waiting means we become not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Waiting means we keep a close watch on ourselves and on the teaching of God's word. See, brothers and sisters, waiting is sacrifice. Waiting is hard work. It's a spiritual act of worship. Waiting is not passive. It's an active devotion to Christ and conformity to his word. So second question is this. What are the fruits of waiting on the Lord? What are the fruits of waiting on the Lord? 
In the waiting on the Lord, we receive renewal. Our strength is renewed. We mount up. We run. We are not weary. We can walk without fainting. This is all about the perseverance of our faith. We are able to persevere because we are preserved by God. We persevere because we are preserved by God. Here's the idea that takes place in verse 31. This idea of our strength being renewed is actually one of our weakness being exchanged for God's strength. Those who wait on the Lord receive his strength. Go back to verse 29. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. The Lord is our source of strength if we wait on him. See, this has been the theme of God's people. We wait on the Lord. That's what we as disciples are supposed to do. You're familiar with Hebrews 11, that great faith chapter. You know what that chapter is really about? It is about faith. But faith expressed in waiting. Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter on waiting. It's the story of God's people waiting for the Lord, of Abraham, of Noah, of David, all of them waiting for the Lord. They waited but never received the things promised. They saw them from afar. They hoped for them. They longed for them. Their faithful lives were lived patiently before the Lord. And what does Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2 say? Therefore, telling the church, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so great a cloud of waiters, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we wait? We lay aside every weight that clings closely. We run with endurance. That's the active aspect of waiting. And we look to Jesus for renewal, the author and perfecter of our faith. So brothers and sisters, run the race before us. Endure. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. Wait for the Lord and his mercy and goodness that he renews us. Our weakness is traded in for his strength. And we rise up and we soar on wings like eagles. We run and don't grow faint. We walk and do not grow weary. This renewal is nothing short of revival. It is the Spirit of God coming down upon us in power and renewing us in strength of the Lord. Oh, how we desperately need that revival, that renewal. We need to wait upon the Lord and we need to long for Him to come to give us comfort, to give us hope, to give us renewal so that we can rise up on wings like eagles. This is the comfort and hope that we have for all who wait on the Lord. So as we wait, as we wait on the Lord, we need to build into our lives regular habits of remembrance and waiting. First, we need to build habits of remembrance into our lives. We already know and have experienced the greatness and goodness of God. We just forget. And as we wait on Him, one of the active things we need to do is have the habit of remembering. 
We need to remember God's greatness. This morning, you need to remember God's goodness. I need to remember God's goodness. We need to remember the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done for us in the cross and in the resurrection. We need to regularly ask ourselves these questions. God, how have you been great to me? God, how have you been good to me? Now, one very practical thing is journaling. It's a great way to develop the habit of remembrance. See, it's not just about writing down answers to those questions. God, how have you been good? God, how have you been great? It actually is about regularly returning to the journal to remind yourselves when we so easily forget, God, oh, here is how you have been good. Here is how you have been great to me. The second thing is we need to build habits of waiting into our lives. How do we wait? How are we going to actively wait upon the Lord? We need to take time to hear his voice. We need to sit at the foot of scripture and listen to the voice of our God. This is not waiting for some voice in the distance. This is where we hear the word of the Lord. In his word, we need to go back to it. And remind ourselves, are we creating regular habits of sitting at the foot of God's word, reading and hearing and listening to his word, and sticking all of the words in his mind, memorizing, meditating, rejoicing in them? Grace Chapel, are these two habits of waiting and remembering built into your lives? If they are, how are you strengthening them? How are you waiting better and remembering better? If they're not built into your lives, how are you going to learn to wait on the Lord? How are you going to learn to remember all the good and great things he has done for you? See, we are promised by God through his word that if we remember, if we wait upon him, we will be renewed with an empowering, life-giving, and supernatural strength. So, brothers and sisters, remember and wait on our great and good everlasting Lord. Let us pray. O Father of mercies, hear us for Jesus' sake. We are sinful even when we closely walk with you. Your grace has given us faith in your cross. You have reconciled us to yourself. You have drawn us in by your great love. You have counted us as innocent in Christ, even though we were once clothed in guilt and unrighteousness. Now we are clothed in Christ. Giver of all grace, we look to you for strength. For it is hard to practice what we believe strengthen us against temptation. Our hearts overflowing fountains of sin. Rivers of corruption flow out of them. We have no strength but in you. Only you can hold back our evil ways. Only you can give us the grace we need to stand. Sustain us, O Lord, for we fall. Satan's darts quickly attack us, and our shields, which should deflect them, easily fall from our hands. Empower us against his wicked schemes. Keep us ever aware of our weakness. Remind us of our need, our absolute dependence upon you. And let each trial we face teach us more of your peace and more of your love and more of your grace. 
Holy Spirit, give us more grace. We cannot survive without you. Work in us, empower us, renew us, restore us. Help us to rise up on wings like eagles. Allow us to run and not grow weary. Allow us to walk and not be faint. Above all, help us to remember you, O Lord. Help us to wait upon you, O Lord. May we trust in your promised help. And may we walk humbly in dependence upon you. In the great and good name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.